1: We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. Left Jab Productions present Edge of
2: Sports Radio, where sports and politics
3: collide.
2: And now your host, Dave Zirin. The schmatter kid.
3: Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zirin. Joined, as always, by a man who I'm really afraid we're about to lose to head the Secret Service of the White House, Dan Baker. DB, only a man with your level of competence can rise to the level that we're seeing from our Secret Service. The future is yours, sir. And we got the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? My man, my how you man. Doing? And me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? I'm great. Uh, we great. got a hell of a show this week. I'm so excited about it. I've got Spelkis and my Gnechtika Zoinks. We are going what? to interview Shireen <laughs> Ahmed. Whatever you said. One of my favorites. She uh, wrote mm-hmm. an article for Vice Sports about FIBA's rules on head coverings and how that's keeping players off the court. It's not just a Muslim issue. It is something that affects a lot of players from a lot of parts of the world, and it's something that she wrote about really beautifully looking forward to speaking to her and we're going to talk to brian frederick from the sports fans coalition about his ebook called upset and it's about the ways in which an uprising of fans looks to have ended the blackout rule Very exciting, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why it's particularly interesting. It's not because this is happening all over the country. The blackout rule, of course, it's the 1976 rule that allows NFL teams from showing games in local markets if uh, the stadiums are not sold out 72 hours in advance. Sounds all, you know, the sort of thing that, well, that doesn't really affect me, and 99% of games, that never happens. There are no blackouts, but the issue here is the government— Standing up to the NFL, mm-hmm. which is not something we've seen a whole hell of a lot of in recent years, mm-hmm. but or ever. So, <laughs> But the other thing that we're going to be talking about, we're going to do this after the break. We've got two issues I want to talk about. The first is Steve Smith Sr. Not Stephen A. Smith, Mm-mm. not Steve Smith the basketball player, not Steve Mm-mm. Smith the Giants wide receiver, but Steve Smith Senior ex Giants wide receiver. I don't think he's playing there anymore. No, I don't think he's playing anywhere anymore. But Steve Smith Sr. and his uh, revenge takedown of the Carolina Panthers. And we are also going to talk about what's happening at the University of Michigan, where for the first time in memory at a place that doesn't include Penn State, we have seen a mass student protest to get an athletic director fired. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's that about? Mm. Mass protest to get the AD fired.
4: Times are changing.
3: Yes, they are. They are a changing. <laughs> but first, we got to go to break. Follow us at Edge of Sports. We'll be back after
2: this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio,
3: joined by the coach, Kevin. Not how you doing, coach? Yeah, a little disco. And, hey, Meemar, first <laughs> props to you, Coach. Last week, you did a monologue on the show. I got inundated by people telling me how much they loved it. I mean, part of me wants to make you a serious? joke or mock you yeah. in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> but, hey, game recognized game. You're fantastic. So thank you for that. Uh, but let's move on from yes. that already. Ugh, I need insulin now. I'm, i got I'm, too syrupy sweet
0: here. I'm not used to this from you. Yes, yes.
3: Where's my insulin? I got this is diabetes. So, but listen up very closely on this one. Look, we talk a lot on this show about what's wrong with sports, especially in recent months with everything that's been happening from Brazil to the National Football League, from the World Cup to the covering up of systemic domestic violence, Mm. that I also often get questions from people just saying – how can you possibly like sports, given all the <laughs> horrific stuff that you guys are constantly hashing through, uncovering, discussing? How can you actually like this?
0: That's a fair question. It's very fair. Yeah.
3: And my usually my first answer has to do with, well, I have a personal experience and history with sports that – I feel very positive about, and that leads me to believe that sports is something that can be reclaimed, no matter how bad it can be, that there's good in there that's worth fighting for. And the response I usually get from that, though, is, okay, fair enough, but then how can you like professional sports? It's one thing if you think that youth sports has something positive, but what about professional sports? And it's hard to answer that question, but I got a hell of an answer this past weekend. Uh And it had to do when Steve Smith Sr. took the field for the Baltimore Ravens against the Carolina Panthers, and he went seven catches, 139 yards, two touchdowns against his former team. He's one of the NFL leaders in catches, but that's what's so great about sports because I love revenge movies. Mm. <laughs> I loved Kill Bill 1. I loved Kill Bill 2. Mm-hmm. I love movies that are about like the person coming back. And it's like like payback with Mel Gibson. Racist mm. ass Melly Gibson. I love that. <laughs> love that. And love, you know, Liam Neeson, all that stuff. Love the revenge flick. And what's so cool about that Ravens Panthers game was you wanted the revenge flick, but it's sports. Panthers could have triple teamed Steve Smith, prevented probably. him from getting more than one catch. They, they probably should have yes <laughs> couldn't have, i mean was it thirty eight to ten I mean it like couldn't that. end yeah. much worse, yeah. Yeah. so the fact that Steve Smith knew that there was a script that could be written mm-hmm. and then went out and delivered it largely by catching a tipped ball for a sixty yard touchdown and then catching another touchdown while being mauled yeah, right. in pass interference that's why I like sports, like the idea. That you could see almost like a choose your own adventure movie happen before your eyes. And then Steve Smith reminded me even more what I like about sports when he gave an interview mm-hmm. on Charlotte Sports Radio. It's a long interview. We're just going to play a short clip of it right now.
1: How was your meeting with Mr. Richardson before the game? That had to be pretty emotional for you. My
5: meeting with Mr. Richardson is the same as it's always been straightforward and nothing but respect. And we actually even laughed. He asked me. He said, "When you score, you gonna give me something good?" I said, nah, "I don't know if I can." <laughs> I don't know how. You know what I said? I said, "I don't know how people gonna take it if I go too big." He was like, ah, I'm expecting something good."
2: <laughs> Tell us the, the similarities or differences uh, with Ron Rivera and Harbaugh.
5: Well, here's the thing with Ron Rivera, and I put it out there. I'm glad Ron came up to me and spoke and shook my hand and wasn't a sore loser. You know, Ron Rivera through that whole ordeal, he never sat down and talked to me. He texted me after the release and he said, sorry it happened this way. And that was the only time he talked to me and that was the last. Yesterday was the first time since I've been released that he sat down, went out of his way, and shook my hand and looked at me man to man.
1: Smitty, why did you feel Baltimore was the best fit for you?
5: Because I'm a tough, gritty SOB. That's why. <laughs>
3: hmm. uh, uh, uh. And you know, that's only a little bit. Mm -hmm. of what he said and he went through in great detail how like all of his like the way management in Carolina mistreated him about how they lie about players about how they lied about him about how they lied about his reputation and I gotta say like it adds to the human drama of the whole thing and in the NFL, which of course stands for the Not for Fun League mm. and all the rest of it, uh, I mean, it was just—it's like a, this breath of fresh air. And I love that Steve Smith, age thirty-five, he's like, "I ran around them like they were a bunch of little kids. I'm gonna go get them to mow my lawn." That's his post-game comments. I mean, Coach, how do you not love that?
0: Yeah, you got to. I mean, you got to. You know, it's interesting. Right after the game, he said. Uh, because they interviewed him on, on um, CBS or whatever, who televised the game. He said, eh, I don't want to say anything, you know. That's, the bygones be go- bygones, basically. Then he turn, t- turns around and does this. But the most revealing part is what he said about Revere.
5: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: he said, hey, the guy never called me in office. I'm you know, 15 years, face of the franchise. I don't know it was 15 years, but face of the franchise. Took him to the playoffs, the deep run. Um and then, you know, didn't have the courtesy to even call him saying that look, we're not going to we're not going to extend your contract and we're letting you go. That was pretty big. And actually, and said, said he basically said that uh, Rivera's a phony cat, yeah. And that you know what I mean. He, he said he'd taken a bow and said he wished me wished me well, but he didn't do that while I was in Carolina. And uh, you know, I was sent out the back door.
3: And the GM even worse. And Mark, he also mm-hmm. said they called me a distraction. I don't beat my wife, and I don't get in motorcycle accidents. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, and those are direct <laughs> references to Carolina Panther players. Absolutely. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. How do you, how do you, I mean, what do you, I mean, that's like, like, like a slam dunk argument because what they deem a distraction is usually what's bad for management. Mm-hmm. And if you're someone who commits domestic violence, but can still sack the quarterback, that's fine for management. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody like Steve Smith and you talk,
4: that's bad for management. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. Uh, this is one of those few times where you've seen this script all over and over again. Player gives their heart and their soul out to this team, and then they let him go when they feel like they're past their prime. And he moves to a team where... They're not expecting too much out of him. They've got Torrey Smith. He's not going to be the number one wide receiver. And through sheer force of will, he makes himself a force on a team. And you, you prove that yeah, he is the number one. He, wide he's receiver. the number one wide receiver. Yeah. And it's it's amazing. It's fantastic.
0: Oh, no, now, although Steve is having a short memory here, he was suspended a couple times for a little fighting a teammate and all this kind of stuff. He did say that yeah. in his comments. Okay. But, he but, said, but,
3: "Sure, I assaulted my teammates, but never my wife." That's right. actually part okay. of his
0: which question. which which. which which piles on to what you've been saying all along about. Check this out: Hardy's there; they let him play through his domestic incident. Steve Smith has altercation. What did they give him two games, or yeah. uh, I forgot what they were. So you know what I'm saying? That's that's, that's your theory about saying, "Hey, look, they're they're, they're tone deaf on uh, on domestic violence."
3: Yeah, and I mean, for people who don't know the Greg Hardy story, I mean, it was more like domestic. Like like, you, like to me, it's like you compare Steve Smith getting into a fight on the practice field. In what is a very violent, temper-filled sport. And then you have Greg Hardy, who's slamming a woman's head in a mm-hmm. toilet, and, and he's hurting her mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much that she looks up at him and says, if you're going to kill me, just kill I me. I know. I mean, he's, and this is yeah, somehow He's been okay. convicted of this. Yes. Mm. yes. Uh, there's actually in USA Today, today they, are, they outline the 50-plus assault cases that Roger Goodell oversaw and pushed under the rug. And, and you know what's happening? You know, that happens the same day. So that's a huge headline story. That it was announced, by coincidence, I don't know, that DirecTV just added another $500 million on their $1 billion purchasing agreement with NFL broadcast rights. Mm-hmm. So think about that. An extra $500 million mean divided by 32. I mean, people can do the math. And basically, it's so transparent. That's why Roger Goodell still has a job. And gee, mm. why is it? That the firm that negotiated that deal for the NFL, Wilmer Hale, is also the firm that employs Robert Mueller, right. former head of the <laughs> FBI, go, Dave, who's in go. charge of the go, internal Dave, investigation. Why is it that the two <laughs> owners go, Dave, go. who are overseeing Robert Mueller, Mr. Mara and Rooney, have already pledged their public support for Roger Goodell? Go, Why is this more staged go, than a WWE match between Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik? Go, Dave, this go. is ridiculous. (laughs) ridiculous and this is corporate fraud and you know if they want to play their corporate fraud games on their own time Go right ahead. Have your kabuki theater to appease the CEO of Pepsi. (laughs) Do that. Have fun with that. Appease all your corporate sponsors. But there is a slight problem with the fact that they're also taking billions of dollars in public money. Mm -hmm. So now they're doing it on my dime. Mm. Now they're doing it on your dime. Mm. They're doing it by abusing the very public platform that's been bestowed unto them by the taxpayer. And I'm sick of it. That's what I'm sick of. Hey, this is Edge of Sports Radio. He's I'm handsome, Dave Zirin. Too. Yeah, I know you're talking about me and <laughs> of not <course>. Roger Goodell. <laughs> but we got to go to break right now. We'll be back right after
2: this with Shereen Med. One, one, two. Three, Don't one, two, three, move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports
3: Radio joined by the coach, Coming. out. How you doing, coach? My man. And me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? I'm doing great. Okay, our next guest has an article on Vice Sports called FIBA's Rules on head coverings are keeping a lot of players off the court. Fascinating article, important topic. We want to touch base with her about this and other issues. Her name is Shereen Ahmed. Shireen, how you doing?
6: Hey, Dave. Hi, coach.
3: Hey. How you doing? <laughs> so first and foremost, right away, explain to the audience who hasn't read the article, uh, what are their rules on head coverings? Because it's been actually confusing in recent years, like what they're saying they're allow, they'll are they allow and won't allow.
6: FIBA actually um, does not allow head coverings, and they specified that according to 4.2.2 of the Player Handbook. Um, Now, the problem with that is that in uh, NCAA, women can play with headscarves. In CIAU in Canada, they can play with headscarves. So people don't realize that the international governing body doesn't allow it because in college and university ball, women have and do play with scarves on. So and, and, and like men, Sikh men play with turbans on. So that's why there's a bit of confusion. But at the international and professional levels that are governed by FIBA, they do not allow it.
3: See, this is very bizarre to me because there's no evidence judging by the success of people like Bilkis Abdul Qadir that that having a a headscarf or covering or hijab actually inhibits your ability to play. So what is – do they have any kind of justification for why they don't allow this?
6: It doesn't inhibit the play, hence they're successful. Like, Bill Gates is one of the most celebrated high school and university athletes coming out of Massachusetts. Like, it's no joke. And the thing is that they're saying that it's a safety issue. Now, they're on record, and I searched for this for a long time, and that came up with nothing. There is no evidence in regional leagues and any uh, type of basketball league or tournament or uh, competitive area that is online, there is no record for any injury caused to a player or another opponent because of a headscarf or a turban or a kippah. There's none because it doesn't quite frankly exist. So the issue of safety becomes ridiculous. Now, there's also a point that nobody really wants to address quite formally, certainly not FIBA, is that they want to keep uh, it free from religious discrimination. They don't want there to be obvious symbols of religion or this. They want to keep it a neutral zone. But what ends up happening is, by keeping this rule in place, you end up discriminating against people who do cover for faith reasons. So it's, And, and they've been on the record recently as saying, oh, it's not for uh, religious reasons. Recently, the Qatari women's basketball team pulled out of the Asian Games because of this. And the FIBA uh, officials are saying, no, 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 well, the rule is not, the rule is not about religion. Well, then what is it about?
3: Hmm. Uh, we were talking to Shereen Med. I don't get why the NCAA, uh, which is, of course, you know, and the NBA for that matter, WNBA, which are very powerful actors in the FIBA universe, they have different rules. Do we know at all if they're exerting any kind of pressure?
6: College sports, and you know better than anyone, has its own er- er areas of, of politi- politics and drama. But they've actually stepped away. And the NCAA, one thing they did do and uh, was to say, we were going to decide on our own rules. We're going to govern our, uh, because they're not professional athletes. So FIBA basically covers and sets a tone for professional athletes in competitive play. And Uh, although that does transcend into uh non-professional athletes now ncaa said we're going to govern our our own rules for student-athletes we get the final say which proved to be beneficial because then you did have you do have players like both you other indira kajlo like uh, kajlo who are who did play and there's many 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 others like that and in high schools and in junior schools like it's it's uh, they don't fall under the reign of NCAA, but they take the lead from NCAA. So athletic federations for schools also said, "We will do our own thing. We will set our own rules." So basically, these players play through university and college, and they thrive. And then when they want to go out there and play professionally, there's a huge roadblock. Mm. They can't. They can't.
3: Mm-hmm. And so I have a question. Like, so what? Like Bilkis Abdul-Kadir, like what is her story right now? Is FIBA something that she would involve herself in if she could? Do we know? Because I mean, she, she's, she's such a dynamic talent, it seems.
6: Yeah, she is. She has so many opportunities to play internationally. Like people are recognizing her. She has a master's degree in coaching and she wants to stick around her home turf. She wants to nurture players. But she's still young enough to absolutely delve into a career, but she can't. So, I mean, I'm not going to speak on her behalf, but having been in a position where, you know, the door is slammed in your face, and in my case it was the soccer, um, you don't actually waste your time getting to something that you know might not be fruitful. She's been public. She's given tons of interviews, as she should. And I think it's just a matter of her being in limbo, like she can't play professionally because FIBA says no now there's a temporary lift on the band to see how it goes, which I think is just a, is a is a stalling tactic. FIBA can't just get up and say, "You know what this rule is stupid, let 's just strike it down." based on the fact that FIFA just two years ago had a very clear, concise, laid-out plan for what they were going to do, FIFA could look to them in their research because they're very similar in the sense of contact. They're both contact sports. Could look at the prototypes for head coverings. And in the case of turbans, it's different because they don't cover the neck. But if you want to do a hijab on the neck, I understand that. And you want to make sure it's safe for the player. Um, FIFA's, FIFA already went through a huge huge process with this. They could look at their research and do it. And FIBA hasn't done any of that. At least with FIFA, players were given some sense of direction, of this is what we're doing, this is what we're what we're going to do. FIBA hasn't done anything. The communication from them is non-existent.
3: Mm. Um, we're talking to Shireen Med. I mean, And I'm very disturbed by this, too, because, like, you want basketball to be a bridge between countries, a bridge between cultures, uh, because I think we've all seen the ways in which sports, when the best angels of its nature are speaking the loudest, that's what you're able to see. It seems like something like this, all it's going to do is deny more interaction, deny more understanding and deny more humanization of people who are often, frankly, dehumanized.
6: I think they're marginalized in so many ways in sport and when you have, when you're told that uh, uh, men with turbans can't play. Like it, it's just, it, it becomes a situation of okay, their turbans are a, a form of faith. They can't take them off, and then the the response from the rest. In the case of hijabs and turbans and keffas, are, oh, just take it off for the duration of the game. Well, for some people, putting your religion in your pocket for like the duration of the match isn't isn't something they're gonna they're gonna agree to. And it's there. Like I said, there's no context there's no history on record of anyone ever being injured from a head covering it, mm. it's not there because it would have been recorded somewhere and it's not so the players that you're talking about basketball and soccer and many others they provide opportunities for other countries like the asian games is a perfect example of that having countries within that within asia compete against one another in these and in troubled areas Sports is uh it's something that lifts up nations, It lifts up countries, it provides um, hope and inspiration and unity, and it gives a lot of places something else to focus on. And this is just another roadblock. The worst part of the whole thing is is that it's not a uniform decision. There's so many other sports out there. The International Rugby Federation doesn't actually have a ban on head coverings. I mean, I, I find that baffling. That what's, what's the problem with FIBA? Like, yeah. Many other sports don't, contact sports, don't have this law.
3: And I, I also wonder, like, where it's coming from, too, is is a question that I think I, I would love to see more exploration of. Like, who is the voice that's either holding this off or preventing this discussion from moving forward? Where is it emanating from and why?
6: Well, in the case of FIFA, and, uh, you know, I'll be honest about it. There was a, a prince from Jordan who actually spearheaded the campaign, and his national team, women's team, is amazing, and they would have suffered. So you had someone from the inside who's on the exec committee lobbying Mm. for this. FIBA doesn't actually have anyone doing that. Like, there's nothing in it for the executive committee to want that push. And if you don't have someone on the end of these executive, very privileged, exclusive clubs that care, because at that level, it's not about the love of sport anymore. It's power. And we see that with so many international sport federations. It's not about the love of accessibility of the game, because this is a completely divisive and exclusionary rule.
3: Mm-hmm. Before we go, I would be totally remiss if I didn't ask you just for thoughts, reflections on a very interesting week for Islam and sports in the National Football League. Where uh, Hussein Abdullah, he he drops to mm-hmm. to his knees in prayer. Uh, he gets a ridiculous penalty, probably almost certainly because the ref had no idea what he was doing.
4: Right.
3: Uh, the NFL, uh, which in I think in years past would have just been like, oh, you don't like it. I mean, the NFL is not exactly renowned for its cultural sensitivities. Hello, I live in Washington, D.C. <laughs> but but yet they came out very quickly to apologize and say the penalty shouldn't have happened. What was your take on the entire, the totality of what took place?
6: I think the fact that the NFL came out so quickly surprised me. I didn't expect it. I mean, you're right. It's just been uh, their press lately has been terrible. And I thought, what are they going to do now? Like, how are they going to deal with this? But they came out with it very clearly. And um, I think it's really important to note that the next XVP of, of officiating from 2008. Um, he came out and said on record, he's on tape all over the place to say that he would never. Uh, the, the issue, from what I understood, was on being on your knees and sliding. But if it was in the form of a quick prayer or a, rec- a cognizance of God, he wouldn't. He didn't want to get struck stric- struck by lightning, so he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't put that away. I think the thing is, that I had a lot of people say to me, "Okay, we know you're going to forget about this," but the ref probably didn't see him prostrating, and I think it's important to note for the NFL that if they're going to make exceptions for prayer, not everybody prays the same way. Muslims pray and they prostrate, they bend down, and that's one way to do it. The fact that the that the conversation is happening is good, because you're getting into a situation where there's like, Multi multi faiths participating in sport mm-hmm. for them to recognize that there might be more. I mean, this would never happen in 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 in, in Premier League and yeah. in uh, in the U. I mean, the UK. It would never happen because half. I mean, all the time you see pictures in international football, um, proper football, of people <laughs> cel- people celebrating with with prayer or, or something. It just wouldn't happen there, and I think that's going to speak to the the changing tone.
3: And I, I liked I, I like the presence of of non Muslims uh, defending Abdullah as well, which was. Which really nice to see. Sharina Med. thank you so much for joining us on Edge of Sports Radio.
6: Thanks again, Dave. Great to talk to you terrific, as
3: always. Terrific. Just a terrific interview. we got to go to break right now. We'll be back after this with Brian Frederick.
2: Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio where sports and politics collide.
3: Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Our next guest is the author of the new ebook, Upset. How sports fans beat the NFL and ended the sports blackout rule. Couldn't be more timely than that, seeing as the release from the FCC was September the 30th. So glad to have him (laughs) on the show. Sports fan coalition like myself, proud and true. His name, Brian Frederick. How you doing, sir?
5: Boom, DZ. Great to be with you. It's been a long time, my man.
3: I know, I know. So, all right, let's answer the question in the book title. How did sports fans beat the NFL and end the sports blackout rule?
5: dogged determination is probably what i would say it took a lot of work it was uh, about a 3 year process countless meetings up at the fcc countless meetings with uh you know consumer groups other groups trying to get them on board and uh uh you know uh, we met with some members of congress um and uh yeah it was uh, it was just a long hard process a lot of legal paperwork like you know the the, the bloody details were uh were mundane but uh... we went up against the nfl and uh... all their muscle and their lobbying power that they had we went up against the national association of broadcasters the nfl players joined in um, and we beat them all so we're mm. we're we're thrilled that we got this done
3: wow, that that's it's really remarkable let me let me ask you this there was an immediate pushback after the fcc rule said that the there's no no more blackout rule where, they, where there was this pushback where a lot of people were saying It doesn't really matter because the NFL can still have a privately done blackout rule with local broadcasters to prevent games from showing if the seats don't sell out. How do you respond to that?
5: Well, the truth, Dave, is that we don't know what's going to happen because uh, this rule has existed for so um, long—forty years—that you know we don't know if the media companies, the pay TV companies, will push back and say that they don't want to want to want to air the games or they don't want to black them out. We don't know if the NFL itself will realize that now it's kind of in a tricky situation, and so it won't. Black them out. Uh, but the important thing was that we get the government's hand out of professional sports. The government was uh, enforcing this blackout rule, which is a private blackout rule that the NFL wanted, and there's no reason for the government to be doing that. Uh, so even if you know it, it doesn't uh, force the NFL to end their own blackout policy, what it does is shine a big spotlight on this practice of uh, you know anti fan uh, blackouts, and uh, you know we're hopeful that this is the first sort of domino to fall in the sort of removal of the government from the subsidization of, of professional sports. Mm,
3: another question for you, and I think you just partially answered it, but I wanted to answer, ask you it very directly. Given that well over 90% of games don't end in blackouts, I think over the last decade it's been 92%. And given that unlike 40 years ago, the NFL is not dependent on ticket buyers for its bottom line. It gets that from cable TV deals, public subsidies, et Please explain to our listeners why they fought so damn hard to keep the blackout rule.
5: Yeah, you know, it's it's an excellent question, Uh, you know, because they refused to open up their books. They refused to show that this economically benefited them. We asked them to do that. And, and, hey, if they can show us that it actually results in more ticket sales, uh, we'll take that. But they couldn't do that. And uh, really what this boiled down to was they didn't want a sports fan group, a fan advocacy group to get one on them and mm-hmm. we did we beat them uh, and uh it, it, this is like i said I, I think that they were worried about what happens if we uh start shining a light on their subsidies so suddenly mm-hmm. you know i think the nfl's non-profit status uh, is up for question and a lot of lawmakers have actually introduced bills Questioning that right now with all this going on, Uh, you know, the stadium subsidies that they receive, the labor exemptions that they receive, uh, all this should be uh, up for for scrutiny. Why are we giving these professional sports leagues so much? Well, it's because 40, 50 years ago they lobbied Congress back when it was much easier to lobby Congress uh, to get these things in and uh, they got them in. And so now we're trying to get them all get, you know, sort of extricate all this uh, uh, influence that they have.
3: Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, uh, Cory Booker, senator from New Jersey, was asking the question publicly, why is the NFL non-profit? And I said to a friend of mine, I said, does he really want the answer to that question? Because the answer says as much awful things about Congress as it does about the NFL, if not worse. mm mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, think about what you're shining a light on. You're shining a light on a practice of 26 full-time lobbyists, $1.5 million spent uh, for every two election cycles, and good old-fashioned uh, horse trading from back in the day where the New Orleans Saints got delivered uh, in return for having some of these protections by two Louisiana politicians.
5: What's really stunning, Dave, is that, you know, the past month. The NFL used to have the most powerful lobby in Washington, um, uh, you know, at least in at least in the last uh, uh, five, ten years. Uh, and right now, uh, you see members of Congress taking shots at them. They never would have done that. It would have mm-hmm. been so unpopular back home in their districts to say, you know, uh, you know, let's let's go after the NFL. Uh, now everybody realizes that they're fair game, and it's it's partially because they're you know they're. First and, and and quest for power and money was so vast and enormous that uh, there's a backlash to that, and they're paying the price for that, uh, and rightfully so. Um, you know, they they thought they could print money, and and by and large they do, but um, that, that that comes with a price, and I think they're they're starting to pay it right now.
3: And, and just uh, thanks so much for your time, I got. We're talking to Brian Frederick, author of the new ebook Upset uh really really good 299 people should get it it's called how sports fans beat the nfl and ended the sports blackout rule uh i i heard you know colin cowherd who is somebody he's a, he's an espn daily talk show guy it's interesting i like that he takes on big topics i don't usually like the journey that he then takes those big topics on so i'm i'm definitely conflicted about him he was speaking about this the other day and he said this has to do the reason why FCC acted like they did is because of the Washington NFL name thing and how absolutely uh, recalcitrant, temper tantrumy they've been in the face of senators, the president, uh, the FCC, all firing warning shots about the name of the Washington football team. And so this is their way of paying them back for it. I find that theory to be sort of dis. I mean, on the one hand, it's dislodged from reality, and frankly, it's dislodged from all the great work that you and Sportsman Coalition did. But the other thing, but it it also sounds like it's connected to something that you said, which is about the NFL's vulnerability. So what, what do you think?
5: Yeah, I, I would like to um, uh, thank you for pointing out. I mean, we, we did, like, go up there and lobby uh, FCC commissioner. After commissioner, we met with the staffers, you know. I mean, those aren't glorious meetings uh, with, with uh, members of Congress's staffers and, and FCC staffers to educate them on this rule because nobody understood what this rule was about. Nobody understood why it was on the books, how it got there in the first place. And uh, so we did put a lot of hard work. And so this this decision would have happened. Um, uh, you know, sooner or later uh, at some point. I think the fact that there's all this going on, I know that, that the FCC com- the chairman is certainly upset by the uh, by the Washington football team name. Um, I know that uh, there's members of Congress upset by what's going on. So I think that the timing of the decision may have been a little bit influenced because they saw a weakness in the NFL. But I think that uh, uh, this, this decision would have happened sooner or later. And, uh, you know, I think also the fact that it was a five-zero decision, um, mm-hmm. the NFL was uh, uh, was soundly beaten, and uh, had they not been distracted by the events of the last month, uh, they might have been a little bit more uh, uh, forceful up at the FCC the last month. But uh, I, I think that they're, uh, they're they have their hands full right now, and so they kind of uh, sort of gave up on this one. Uh, but. Like, like, uh, like you said, they're still insistent on enforcing their own blackout policy, which it just seems uh, stupid at this point.
3: So, we're going to take on the nonprofit status next.
5: Absolutely, I think that's let's a great uh, start. <laughs> uh, let's take on that. Let's look at this antitrust exemption for um, for negotiating uh, broadcast contracts. Like, why why shouldn't I be able to as a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Uh, Negotiate with the Kansas City Chiefs to pay ten dollars to watch their, um, you know, their their games. Uh, why uh, should public stadium subsidies, um, you know, that uh, uh, we've, we're spending about seven billion dollars on NFL stadiums, shouldn't that come with some sort of a uh, return for the fan that's uh, invested in that? And uh, I think there's lots of ways that we can sort of go after some of the subsidies and benefits that they, these leagues are receiving. And now that we have. Uh, you know, now that we've beaten the NFL and we have one a notch on our belt, we're uh, we're coming back for more.
3: Awesome, hey Brian Fredericks, thanks so much for joining us on mm-hmm. Edge of Sports Radio.
5: Hey Dave, really appreciate it. Always good to talk to you, man.
3: Yeah, you too, buddy. Hey, you know what? This is really interesting, guys, mm-hmm. because the, the the whole idea about like why can't you be able to say instead of paying like exorbitant cable fees, instead of needing a service like Directv, instead of all of this stuff, instead of having to get the twenty four seven coverage of ESPN that you can just say, I'm going to spend this to watch this game. I mean, I just feel like that's the future. I mean, Coach, it's like when, you you know, I mean, I don't know if you know what streaming movies means, but (laughs) that's something a lot of the kids are doing now, man. But (laughs) Coach is like, I got nothing. Look, no, but seriously, though, before we go, I did want to talk about this issue at Michigan. Yes. Because, I mean, we're talking about rallies on campus against the athletic director because I feel like it's brought together these two powerful constituencies, people who are really mad at football right now and people who are really mad that Michigan has three losses for the, for, for the month of October for the first time in its 100-plus year history. So it's like all that dissatisfaction brought together in one. Mark, I know you had some thoughts about what's going on in Michigan. Brady Hoke, do you think he's gone? I think that they're,
4: they're, there's a d- definite possibility about it. <laughs> Pay him $2 million
3: if they, if they fire him without cause. I mean so I think they're trying to position this as if him putting that player back in is cause, probably so i that's it, a dirty business man it's,
4: it's what that's what they do <laughs> yeah uh, but I, I i honestly i think that there's there's been more of a more more of a i guess more of a belief that player injuries can be the the cause of of the coach, if you look back towards Mike Shanahan taking the blame for putting RG three out there in that playoff game, watching him hobble, yeah, out that and, was a and, turning point, absolutely, and hit, tear his knee, uh, tear his knee ligament. It wasn't what ca- caused his eventual firing, but it, it left him weakened. I think it leaves Brady Hoke weakened to the point where, if he de- if he doesn't win, then that can be seen as a, the excuse that, that that'll put him out the door. No, I
3: mean reading history backwards, that's when the Shanahan era was on the clock
0: in Washington. Yeah, that was as soon as that took place. Uh, what about you, Coach? You know, Hoke uh, is the top man, and he should be held accountable for what was an ugly situation. But he's got people around him. You know, these coaches are very competitive. I remember John Thompson, uh, when he spoke of why he hired Mary Finland as the as the, uh, as the the academic advisor, because he didn't want the temptation to say, skip a class, I'll overlook it. Mm. And bypass education for a victory. So these guys are very competitive. They're into it. When he he might not have saw it, but he's got people around him that he hired, and he's paying a million dollar salary. So he has to take the hit. Compound that with the losing that Michigan's going under. Yeah, he's out. There's no way they can keep him. This is a major, major embarrassment. The AD could go, should go too. Yeah, but the AD um, has a horrible reputation. Like I
3: said, like other than Penn State, which is like a once in a century type of scandal. Uh, you're talking about uh, never hearing of a rallies to get an athletic director fired. I mean, it's, it's just too bizarre for words. I mean, the, the, the other thing, though, is that I just I think a lot of people just find it really, really hard to believe that you know, your quarterback throws a long pass, gets hit. People on TV see the hit. And as a coach, you're not doing a double take to see if your quarterback's okay? It just doesn't make any damn sense. Because like, the whole thing is like, oh, the ball was in the air. It's like, what? He's not watching a <laughs> tennis match. Like, ooh, the ball's in the air. No, no, no. You see your quarterback get knocked. Your eyes are trained on that.
0: But what you, what you see on camera is different than what you see with a guy on a sideline I've I, I referee football, and what you see on that sideline 60 yards away in a maze of uh, you know between 21 players, it's not always that clear. The guy got up, and he, 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 he actually waved the quarterback. I'm, I'm sorry, I forget his name. Shane he actually waved back yeah. to the bench. I'm okay, I'm okay. And, he was, and it looked like he was limping as opposed to the head hit. So I give him a pass on that, but there's no excuse, bottom line, when all this is hit the fire. He's the man accountable. I'm an accountability kind of guy. I say that all the time. Yeah. Yes, you do, and I wish you'd stop and be accountable for the fact that you say it all the time. Hey, we got to go to
3: break right now. We'll be back to wrap up the show. I don't like this guy.
2: Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin.
3: Boom, we are back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt, wrapping it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you understand what I was saying about the uh, on the field? There's a lot going on, man. When you're a referee and, or a coach, there's 22 guys running around. What you see on TV is just a whole different animal no, with 20 ke- cameras and ISOs and all that kind of stuff.
3: I hear you. It's just that, like, I mean, I absolutely watch more NFL than college. Same but, here. But whenever, say, an Aaron Rodgers gets hit on a helmet-to-helmet, I mean, everybody is focused on that, no matter how far the ball is down the field, including, of course, the coach. Like, it becomes like, you know, a, a, a nuclear summit, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's kind of bizarre to me that in this case, it's just like no one was looking. It doesn't pass the surface. No, smell we're not saying any. no
0: one was looking. We're saying Hoke might not have seen. And that's any, and by the way, he does not have a headset. So even if it came from upstairs, somebody, it goes down to somebody next to him who just said, hey, the quarterback's wobbly. We made we need to get him out of there. Well, and, when he, and when he looked at him, he was actually limping as opposed to holding his head. And not to say, I mean, Hoke is a questionable coach, but he I think eleven million how he might not have seen it. Yeah. He's
3: made $11 million at Michigan. My goodness. Public <laughs> university. Yeah. $11 million to, set, to not wear a headset. Right, right. Man, if you're making that much money, wear a damn headset, right. please.
0: So you, you brought up Dave, but here's another question. Of the protest, the student protest, how much do you think is for the young athlete as opposed to Michigan losing?
3: Uh it's very interesting. I think it's a mix. I think it's a huge 60, mix. 40, there are people 70, I'm not on the ground so I don't know, I'm but just, asking. No, no, no. just I'm doing it's totally based on online commentary, but right. there are I just know that there are a lot of people who are being very defensive about the fact of saying, "Wait a minute, this is not just because we're losing. It's because of the direction of the program, how it treats its players." All of the above. So there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But then people obviously are being very cynical about it too, like, "Yeah, sure, you're protesting too much. If he was 3 and 0, oh, right. nobody's complaining at all." Mm-hmm you know you're just saying well that's the price of doing business yeah. I mean, so i my theory is that like i said like it there are just two different constituencies that have come to that are not normally together that have come together on right. this issue people having major question marks about football right. and people who uh, really hate the fact that they're having their their one and eight against like their last uh, top 20 teams yeah. that they played i
0: mean you lose to a Minnesota at home i mean that's a bottom feeder that's like oh, it's man, ridiculous. that's like you beating me in hoops
3: uh, hey before we go big <laughs> shout out to noah tilton first game he got a 50-yard catch. My man. Noah Tilton. (laughs) Hey, for everybody out there, I'm Dave Zyron. We are out of here. Peace.
2: Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.